Recently, as I stepped into the shower to wash my hair, when I pulled the curtain closed, now standing half wet under the spray of water, the shower curtain rod fell down hard on my head. And I saw stars. I swayed a little on my feet. I shut off the water and I sat down on the side of the tub, rubbing this painful spot on my head with the sopping wet shower curtain tangled all around my shoulders. It was a mess. And I thought, is this how it will end? It being my one wild and precious life, bopped on the head by the shower curtain rod. I wondered if I had a concussion, if I should call someone or ask that a friend call me every hour to see if I was still alive overnight. Would I love live to see the next morning? I wasn't really sure. But I didn't want to pretend to be casual or, or minimal about it. But I sat there for a while and then made the decision to keep showering and keep moving slowly into bed. But I was paying a certain kind of special attention, feeling my nervous system. And finally, doing what I do when I can't sleep, turning on a Dharma talk by Norman, which puts me right out. And as I've said before, he has said that when he retires, which will be never, but when he retires, he's going into the sleep aid business because he knows there are many of us doing this. So the week after this non-fatal knock on the head, I was driving on a sunny day along the Bolinas Lagoon with a friend when a huge oil truck rounded the curve in front of us squarely in our lane. And I thought, oh God, is this how it will end? And I took my foot off the accelerator and when the truck suddenly swung over into his own lane, my friend and I both gasped with relief, riding for several minutes in that grateful silence we all know. Breathing, grateful to be alive. Maybe you also have experienced recent moments of wondering, is this it? Is this the end? of my life. Maybe they've been more moments than just one. Maybe intense, lasting longer than the actual physical or emotional pain. Maybe it's the kind of, is this it? When someone close to us dies. Or when someone withdraws, leaves a relationship, 
someone we've held close to our hearts. So later that night after the truck coming towards us, I remember thinking to myself, a few weeks ago when I gave a Dharma talk, I said, let's slow down and pay attention in this life. I was talking about Maley's prayer. And I was referring to how I sometimes feel the need to respond very quickly, immediately. Especially when it might be better to pause. Especially when something feels tough. Something feels like I want to get rid of it. And though I can't say that taking my foot off the accelerator that day on the edge of the Bolinas Lagoon was a conscious pause, it was maybe in some intuitive and also literal way, a wisdom, a moment of compassion from the universe, a message not to move forward into danger. In a reading I found by Jack Cornfield, he writes, in a moment of stopping, we break the spell between past result and automatic reaction. When we pause, we can notice the actual experience, the pain or pleasure, the fear, the excitement. the unknown. And in the stillness before our habits arise, we become free. When our habits don't just move right in, we get a taste of freedom. And just hearing those words, becoming free, how does that feel in our bodies? Just close our eyes for a moment and stop. Listen. Becoming free. Can we feel it in the core of our physical being? Is there a sensation maybe in your chest or in your throat? Becoming free. Hello. My phone. Not free of my phone. I don't know if you could hear that. So when I think of becoming free, I feel an uplift, kind of lightness, a release. I feel, I hope you feel into your own goodness. Not a reward or an attainment of some kind, just a remembering. A remembering of your true nature. 
your Buddha nature. Remembering to take our foot off the gas pedal, to slow down, pay attention, remember. A beautiful excerpt from a book that I read recently by a late poet and writer in the South, Randall Keenan. He has an essay called Letter to Self uh, in a book of essays called Black Folk Could Fly. And he urges us to remember everything. Remember everything. Observe everything. Remember what it's like to be in a tobacco field in the July heat. To what the old women at First Baptist wear in the rhythm of the deacon's prayers. Remember what it feels like to walk up on a rattlesnake. Remember the argument you had with Mrs. Johnson about your article in the school paper. Remember the funerals and the band practices and the nights you spent with the EMTs at the fire and rescue squad. Everything is important. Everything, now and later, remember. So as we've been remembering Mailey Scott, those little talks that Wendy and Stu gave last week, I'm grateful to her for asking us to remember the core, the basic feeling, the instructions for becoming free in the metta prayer. And I remember back to my own Zen practice origins to a favorite story. I had to look for it, but found it handwritten in a journal. The Buddha remembered himself as a child and seated under a rose apple tree in his father's garden. He remembered in that childlike state a natural sense of wholeness and sufficiency was present. Seated as a, as a child, seated as a child, he had already experienced the calm clarity, the natural unity of body and mind he was seeking all those years later. After remembering this profound sense of wholeness, the Buddha changed his entire way of practice. He began to nourish and honor his body and spirit. He remembered that he could rest in the universe rather than fight it. Rest in the universe instead of fight it. And he realized that awakening is never the product of force. It arises through a resting of the heart and opening of the mind. Both Sue and Wendy last week mentioned Mailey's life of compassionate steadfastness. How she continuously showed up for peace and justice. Her intention 
to be of help to others. Her non-flashiness, her quiet humility, her ability to deeply listen. A new way of thinking of resting the heart, opening the mind. Our ability to deeply listen. One of my heroes in life, Rachel Naomi Remen, great healer, physician, often says in her talks that the most basic and powerful way to connect to another person is to listen. Just to listen. Because the greatest gift we give to each other is our, is our attention. You know how it feels when you know somebody's really listening to you, when they're giving you their attention. And this deep kind of listening often requires a pause to examine our intention and then shift our focus to another person, sentient being. To a friend or a child or a spouse. To the supermarket cashier, to our yoga teacher or a Qigong teacher, to a dog or a kitty, to a rose apple tree tomato plant, a hummingbird, a bristlecone pine tree, an osprey, or a person speaking to us in a breakout room on Zoom. Especially to pause and allow space to stop thinking of what you will say or do next. Just to become free to receive a resting of the heart, an opening of the mind. Just as the Buddha learned how he changed his practice completely. How necessary to pause, especially in times of difficulty, confusion, conflict, and there's plenty of that in our lives right now. Lots of prickly energy, have you noticed? Just my own, others. Sparks of irritation that fly. The shortening tempers, the little flare-ups, escalating tensions over what are not really major issues. Just something that gets under our skin, throws us back into habitual fear, inconvenience, feeling small, not enough. So in that talk I read by Jack Cornfield, he continues on and says, try this in your next argument or conflict. Take a pause. Hold everyone's struggle in compassion. Hold everyone's struggle 
in compassion. It interrupts the habit. And as we do that, connect with what's my highest intention. Before you speak, before you act, what is your highest, wisest, deepest, most loving intention? From there, he promises, it will go better. I believe him. He says, this is the secret of wise speech. As the Buddha described it, speak with kindly motivation. Speak what's true and helpful. Speak in due season to the benefit of all. When we connect with our highest intention, we learn to see with eyes of compassion and everything becomes more workable. Let the pause, let the metta prayer, the love and kindness become your prayer to listen. Our prayer. Remember, compassion changes everything. It restores us to wholeness. It helps us pause. It helps us let go of the tyranny of our delusion of us needing to be perfect and to embrace the brokenness as an integral part of life, not to dwell there, but to let the compassion embrace us, heal us. And as Rachel Naomi Remen says, we heal best in community. That's why we're here. We heal best in community. Maylie says, may I be attentive and gentle towards my own discomfort and suffering. May I move towards others freely and with openness. May I receive others with sympathy and understanding. So the meta prayer, yes, it asks us for this attention, this healing this wholeness and the gentle acceptance of brokenness. Not an indictment of us. A way of embracing, of putting our arms around all. It's a freedom from imprisonment, something she dedicated her life to. Freedom, justice, the imprisonment, whether it was in an actual prison or whether it was the imprisonment of a lifelong resentment, a closed heart. Shutting the door on our country's history of slavery, violence, on our own privilege, on some opinion that we are absolutely convinced is right. 
Let's listen to the inequity, the displacement, to the like expression and the rights of others that don't necessarily affect exactly us to other communities, to other places experiencing such horrendous war or degradation, drought, flooding. And let's remember, we are the Bodhisattva of compassion, the 1,000 hands. We may think of ourselves as too old or not connected enough. It's not true. It's not true. We, we are. We are this compassion. We're cultivating the ground of peace. Not just for ourselves, but for others and for our community. We, as a community, persist, mindful. We show up here. We show up. That's what Wendy and Sue told us that Maylie kept doing. Not with a big banner saying, I show up. Just showing up. Like the Buddha, remembering the profound sense of wholeness, changing, nourishing, honoring body and spirit. Remember the funerals and the band practices and the nights we spend with the EMTs, the fire and rescue squad who are there for us. Remember everything. Remember, rest in the universe rather than fight it. Awakening never a process of force, never a product, an attainment. So in these moments of wondering, is this it? these moments of glimpsing the unknown territory into our own disappearance, our own death. These changes happening to our bodies and to our families, to our communities and our mother earth. These upending of rights, of our governance, of our freedom. Let's turn again and again to our practice of awakening, of sitting together, a thousand hands, a thousand eyes, myriad hearts of compassion, remembering to give attention to each other, to small kindnesses, to beauty, not force. This much we can really do for our brokenness, to remind each other, to remember our wholeness. 
offering blessings. Blessings. Free our compassion independent of results. May we know that our peace and the world's peace are not separate. That our peace in the world is the result of our work for justice. Our awakened selves, pausing, listening, giving attention to each other, healing in community. So today, as I put you into breakout groups, I wish you would consider meta prayer. What is your highest intention? What are you listening to? and paying attention to, particularly in your practice in this Sangha community.